Cultivate Simple, episode 61, Fermenting for the Flock. I'd rather be a farmer I'd rather work the land I'd rather see the mountainsides I'd rather see your I'd rather swim the ocean I'd rather not pretend Welcome to Cultivate Simple, an honest and unrehearsed discussion about trying to live a more simple life. This is episode 61, and today we are discussing uh, fermented chicken feed. Yes, we, need, we still need to do a podcast on chickens. We've had a lot of people request one, but this is something that I've been doing for a while and something that I'm a member of a, like an all natural poultry group on Facebook and it's what everybody's talking about and asking about there. So it's uh, something that I've been responding to a lot of questions about and reading a lot about. So figured it was a good, good topic to chat about tonight. And it seems like, no... Most of our evidence is very anecdotal, but mm-hmm. it uh, it seems like your methods are working. Yeah. Because with a lot of our friends, we've been, you know, obviously talking with them and they ask how different things are going. And uh, we've been discussing with them, with various friends, about their chickens yeah. laying. And many of them quit laying several months ago. ago. Yeah. Um, and so far, yours haven't stopped. Um, nope, they've slowed, they've, they've slowed, slowed a little bit, but they're also, uh, many of them are molting. So that could yeah. be the slowing. So, but the, everybody's like, well, what do you use? Do you use heat lamps? Do you use, you know, do you have supplemental lighting in your Yeah. Coop? Um, what are you, what are you doing to make your chickens lay all the time? And really we're not doing anything because we don't have any of that. We mm-hmm. don't do supplemental lighting. We don't have a, um, there used to be a timer in the coop, but we took it out when we, um, expanded the coop a little bit and redid one of the rooms um but yeah so we don't use any supplemental lighting in fact the coop is in kind of a crappy spot as far as yeah um i need to take some of the trees down around even just for it to get more airflow around it but um yeah we do nothing so the only difference between and us and or our chickens and other chickens is how we're feeding them Mm -hmm. and so uh so we're going to discuss that a little bit tonight um and maybe give you some tips if you're thinking about raising chickens or even if you're just thinking about raising animals of any sort um this might be a bit of a motivation to research a little bit more and uh see if you can come up with alternate ways to feed your animals Mm -hmm. um that might you know save you money and uh might be better for your animals and I guess it's the the overarching kind of the 10,000 foot view of the whole episode is um, don't believe everything you read or that Purina tells you. Exactly. Um, You know, don't be afraid to experiment. I mean, you're not endangering your animals or anything like that. They're they're still going to be fed. Um, It's just a matter of, you know, them getting the nutrition and and so on that they they want and they need. But Mm -hmm. in the same way. You know, if you listen to all of the the producers of pellets, 
um, then they'll tell you, well, if you a perfectly if you, balanced if diet, if you feed grain, then oh, your everything will die. Yeah. Um, it's just it's not an true. interesting thing. I always find it interesting that people have no problem feeding themselves and their children without the perfectly balanced kibble, and yet they're scared to death to yeah. feed their dogs or their cats or their chickens or uh, you know their pigs something besides bags of specially formulated food for that specific animal um i find that interesting because i mean i don't know that we're any more complex as humans than um other animals are but if we're not afraid to feed ourselves whatever we shouldn't be afraid to figure it out for our chickens either so or maybe we as humans need some sort of soylent green soylent green That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> and some people will get that reference. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully tonight the recording comes through. Hopefully, there is a podcast to put out tomorrow, um, because I am using a new version of. We use GarageBand uh, on the Mac to record our podcasts, and up to this point, we've been using um, the version from a couple years ago, and. When uh, Apple came out with a new operating system, they came out with a new GarageBand. And I've been kind of avoiding it because it's different and because the other one worked. <laughs> but um, Sometimes I do that too, just because it's easy. Right. Well, you know, if it, if it ain't fixed, don't broke it. Don't, no. If it ain't broke, don't <laughs> fix it. <laughs> wow, that was weird. Um, as the old saying goes sometimes uh yes. but with the old garage band every once in a while we would be recording along and i would look down at the laptop screen and it would say disc too slow yeah. um and you could just hear the fan of the laptop just humming away because it just sucked up resources in fact i'm going to open up as we're recording this is how much confidence oh, no. i have i know let me let me open up activity monitor let me see how many how much resources this is consuming this is brian's geeky corner right here see that that gives you an indication right there GarageBand is only consuming 47 percent of the cpu um which is not much at all um so that's interesting because the yeah the old version would just be screaming at this point the laptop would just be humming along and heating up and Mm -hmm. so this may work but we'll see because uh, yeah, I mean, you don't know until I hit stop record and obviously we haven't gone for an hour yet, so no. that, that can cause problems as well, but hopefully this works out. So that's, uh, neither here nor there, but just to let you know, if there's not a podcast tomorrow, of course you won't be hearing this anyway. So, <laughs> cause true. I'm too tired tonight to do this twice. Um, so what should we talk about next no. Is that your geeky corner? Well, How about what's for dinner? Oh. What's for dinner? <laughs> you really should record that so you don't have to do it every time. I know. But then it wouldn't be different every time. Mm. So what is for dinner? What was for dinner? What was for dinner? We had salad. Mm. I broke down and bought some lettuce at the co-op. I tried to get some at the farmer's market, but nobody had any lettuce from there. High tunnels, which that's why that's on our that's what must that's do on the to do list, list for this year, yeah, that's on the must do list for this spring, um, so I broke down and bought some lettuce because I've been craving something green, 
And I had all great intentions of digging up all my beets that I planted and had in the main back garden. And just with the with the slaughtering of the pigs, I didn't end up getting it done before Thanksgiving. And then we had a hard freeze and they froze into the ground. So Because you can keep your beets in your root cellar and then they'll sprout leaves, which you can then pick and eat as a green mm-hmm. salad throughout the winter. Um, but that didn't happen. So I bought some lettuce and then I have a box of Meyer lemons that I got from the lemon lady's orchard mm-hmm. and I made some Meyer lemon vinaigrette, which is just fantastic. It's very summery, but it's, you know, citrus is in season kind of in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I always make it and it's really good. So you just use, and vinaigrettes are so easy and it's one of those things you really should learn to make. All you need is a basic recipe. So you need one third acid and then two thirds olive oil. I like, all, I always use olive oil. Um, so you can use any kind of vinegar that you want. In this case, I use one third Meyer lemons. I use the juice and the zest. And then I add in um, a, a little bit of honey, some salt and some pepper. And then I usually use an, I usually add a, yet an egg yolk to my salad dressing just because it helps keep everything emulsified. And then you just mix up the mix up the acid or the lemon juice or whatever kind of acid you're using uh and then you whisk in the oil slowly and it emulsifies and makes a delicious vinaigrette and it's really that easy and you can add garlic and onions if you want to your vinegar or your um citrus juice that you're using and let them set for an hour or two to infuse um but add herbs and spices whatever Mm -hmm. i mean as long as you know that basic you know, you can't, you, some people try to make their salad dressings a little leaner on the oil because they, you know, don't want to eat as much fat. But the fat really is important because it helps your body absorb all the nutrition from the vegetables. So I wouldn't go skimping on the fat. I would just maybe if you're wanting to eat a little less, just use a little less on your salad. Mm-hmm. But it's really super easy to make up a, as long as you know that ratio, your vinaigrette's going to be balanced because the oil helps balance out the vinegar that's the problem if you don't add enough oil then your salad dressing is just going to be too acidic and too weird and it's going to be slightly off so that's why a lot of places add gums and stabilizers and other things to kind of offset the acid but that's why you use kind of that ratio and it works out really well Um, and you can pretty much mix up whatever you've got going and make something delicious and seasonal it was very good it was and then we had reminded us of summer yeah it was fantastic and then i put some dried cranberries that we got from a local um farm and some shaved romano cheese on top and then on the side we had pizza yep not homemade pizza either one from a little shop in belfast we stopped last night after brian had a curling match last night and i went and we happened to be in Belfast, so we decided to go to this little place that makes great pizza. Mm-hmm. We ordered a pizza and brought it home. So we had leftover pizza to make. Shout out to Rolly's Bar and Grill. Yep. <laughs> we don't necessarily like to go in there and eat because it is it is a bar. and It's, it's like a sports bar, so yeah. it's really loud. And for the HSP introvert in me, yeah. it's a little... Susie has to... I have to drag her out of there because she's just <laughs> curled up in the fetal position in the corner. It can be um, a little rough. It's not bad sometimes, but it was... Well, Saturday night. And the Patriots so. were playing last night, so yeah. the place was absolutely packed. Yeah, yeah, so we just ordered it to go Yep, and brought it home and enjoyed it at home. Yeah. 
And the weather oh, has... And we had, oh, we should mention that oh, we had a main oh, root oh, cola oh, yes. with it, mm-hmm. which is a main soda company. They make sodas with natural cane sugar and herbs and spices, and it's pretty good stuff. Yeah. So we had that to go along with it. And they do it in, in small batches, and uh, yeah, it's really good. It's... Good stuff. When we... Usually when we have pizza, we enjoy a soda. That's kind of our yeah. our treat. Uh, we split one. <laughs> yeah, we split one. <laughs> so not not a huge treat, but it's, That's right. it's, it's good to do. It's fun to do every once in a while. Um, I was going to say that the, the weather's been a little bit crazy. Uh, speaking of spent, things being frozen in the ground and We spent all day else. outside working, actually. Yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah, it. I mean, the weather's the weather. It's it's always weird in it's the winter. It's always changing. I always exactly. think that people just forget what the weather's like, so they're always, you know, oh my gosh, it's winter and it's cold. You know. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, it's snowing. It, can you believe it's snowing? There's a snowstorm. Oh no, it's winter. Uh, but yeah. So the the whole you know country freaked out this week. It seemed over the the polar, polar vortex. Oh gosh, uh, all this stuff drives me crazy. I know. I have a friend that calls the Weather Channel the Chicken Little Channel, and that's really fitting, I think. And I personally think it's all to sell more advertising because if you oh, have absolutely. big weather events, more people tune into um, the normal. Even people who don't watch TV will often tune in to watch the weather, especially mm-hmm. if it's a huge weather event. So, of course, they can sell tons of advertising. Right, so. they get their viewing numbers up, and then they can sell more. Yeah. They get a higher advertising dollar, so they yeah. make more money, oh. and it all comes back to making money. But, That's right. Uh, Drives me crazy, though. This, after the polar vortex moved through, <laughs> then it, it brought with it the the, the tropical triplex. Is that uh, what it is? No, oh, I, I was going to say. That up. <laughs> Can you imagine what someone from 200 years ago would say? <laughs> be like, oh, geez. <laughs> Um, but it's been, yeah, yesterday was almost 50 degrees and Mm -hmm. today was in the... Well, yesterday morning we woke up to freezing rain. Yes, we, we'd almost gotten rid of, uh... All the ice from the previous storm. On on the driveway, which, I mean, that was laid down back December 23rd. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, we woke up to freezing rain, which then added another layer of ice back onto the driveway. Right. Um, so we, we were supposed to go candle pin bowling with, uh, with one of the the companies that I do web development with for here in Maine. And we ended up just sliding down the driveway and said, I don't think so. We got partway down and kind of halted on the edge. And so we just stopped and you actually had to come up because I had just worn some regular shoes. You actually had to hike up to the house and get my snowshoes and they have like crampons kind of on the bottom mm-hmm. so i could walk up the driveway um because there was no way i mean it was a sheet of ice yeah so it was what do they call funny. it glare ice i think that's what they call it up here maybe glare ice i the one on the fire radio yesterday one guy said that it was a a, a, a coke bottle oh that's funny <laughs> yeah i thought that was was an apt description for the yeah. type of ice. Yeah. Because that's what it was. I mean, just completely smooth, slick, like glass. And all morning we'd been listening to the fire radio and just people, I mean. Multiple, multiple people multiple, in Multiple, multiple accidents. Ambulances not being able to get places because they couldn't get up the hills because the roads are so slick, that kind of thing. I think there were three accidents between cars and plow trucks. Yeah. 
I saw pictures of two plow trucks in a ditch. Um, it was just, it was, it was really bad mess. yesterday. So yeah. the main weather has uh, not been pleasant. But today was nice. Then today was it, beautiful. Yeah. the We've lost Sunny and in the a 40s. lot of our snow, mm-hmm. which if you... Susie, as we were coming home last night, she was looking at the blog um, and she said, can you believe this? And she showed me the pictures from this past week and the blog post about us sledding. Um, And it's just, it's unbelievable the difference. Oh yeah, because the the pile of snow out in front of our front door was probably... Probably eight feet tall. Eight feet tall at least. Mm -hmm. And now it's maybe three feet tall. Yeah. And keeps sinking. Yeah. And there are lots of parts in the yard that just there are, there's no snow left whatsoever, which is actually not a good thing for the garden because the snow is really good uh, insulation for the plants. It's mm-hmm. kind of like nature's mulch, so to speak. And it adds a lot of nitrogen and stuff to the, to the soil. So it's actually really good. It's not great to have bare plants um, exposed to the cold winter wind. The snow really does help protect a lot of things. So I'm hoping we get some more snow or we don't get a lot of super, super cold weather after this. Mm -hmm. We'll see. I mean, we'll probably get more snow. It's just hopefully we get it before we get too much cold weather. Mm -hmm. Because I'd rather not lose my boxwoods or have them die back too much from the cold desiccating winds. What would be a way to to get around that? Could you go out and... You can just cut, you can wrap them in burlap or, um, I'll see what the weather's going to be. If it looks like it's going to get really cold, you can just cut some pine evergreen branches and lay them around the boxwood plants. If they're, you know, if they're small enough or lay them on top of plants that really, um, the evergreen does wonders, um, helping protect them because it helps. I mean, it's mostly the drying wind. It's not necessarily the cold that really kills a lot of plants. It's just the dry wind is really hard on them. Um, especially like boxwood plants and they're evergreens, but they, they start to bronze when they get the the really cold winter winds Mm -hmm. on them. So I noticed them up front have a little bit of bronzing, but I'll keep my eye on them and go cut some. We've got plenty of evergreens. Actually, I could take all the evergreens that fell out of the trees during the ice storm and pile them around it because we've got tons of those laying around so that would work i could just go collect those if needed Mm -hmm. that's what i did last year because we planted them late since i brought them up from ohio so i just went into the woods and cut a bunch and kind of put it around everything to protect it so that's the weather update (laughs) yeah um we do have uh, one question from last week uh, that was left in the show notes, and that was uh, from Wendy. And so into our listener questions. Is this Wendy from Thimble's Nest? Um, do you know? I can check real quick because I still have that pulled right. up. Let's see. Yes, it right. sure is. That's her blog, by the way. Is that .com, .wordpress.com? Um, it's .com, I believe. Yes, Thimble. Thimblenest.com. Wendy from Thimblenest.com. She said, uh, just remember the question, where do you buy potatoes, catalog or local source, or save some from the previous year's harvest? Shipping costs seem prohibitive, um, so we've always bought from a local feed store, but I was underwhelmed by the quality last year. Yeah, so where do you buy your thing. potatoes? I think seed potatoes are one of those things that are worth spending a little money to get some organic 
good quality seed potatoes from a decent source. I actually often get mine from um, Maine Potato Lady. Maine is an M-A-I-N-E, the state of Maine. She has a lot of, she has a really good selection of regular and organic. Uh, um, and I just, she has a really interesting selection. She has really good uh, descriptions about the potatoes. She has a really good chart that tells you what they're good for. Um, Wood Prairie Farm is also a very good source. Um, they're a great farm to buy from and support too because they do a they do a ton of great work as far as organic agriculture, um, particularly in the um, like legislative area. They're huge advocates and spend a lot of time and effort into um, trying to help legislation be good for small local farms. So I like to support them as well and give them my money for that reason because I know it's being used for good purposes. You can also get uh, really good potatoes from Johnny's Selected Seeds. It kind of depends on where you live though because they, um, you know, shipping from Maine if you live in California is a little more um, expensive. You know, and if you live out west... Um, I would think that groworganic.com, which is Peaceful Valley Seeds, is uh, a, would be a great place to get them from. Since they're on the West Coast, the shipping wouldn't be quite as much. Um, but I would definitely look at those places. You can save seed from your own stock if you have them. The problem is a lot of time there, if you don't have the right storage conditions, they can be too sprouted. Mm-hmm. Um and thus the potatoes use too much of their energy and they have big, long, leggy sprouts and then you don't get as good of a harvest. You also run the risk of uh, propagating disease if you had maybe some kind of disease that you didn't notice in the previous year. Um, but, you know, if your potatoes are healthy and they grew really well and you didn't have any kind of blight or any kind of a disease, then by all means you can save the smaller potatoes from the previous year's crop and try replanting them. Um, and see if that works for you. I've done that before a lot, actually. But you do have to make sure they're good. They're the best potatoes that you have, and they don't have any kind of issues. You know, Mm -hmm. you want perfect potatoes, because otherwise you're not going to end up with a good crop. So, yeah. Those are the sources I like, personally. I bought potatoes from a bunch of different places, but I've always... My mom used to buy them from... uh, just like the local feed store. The ones I ordered from, I've also ordered them from Seed Savers Exchange in the past and they were really good. I ordered, uh, they have a great collection so you can order like a an heirloom collection. I think you get four or eight, I can't remember, different kinds of potatoes, just like a little bag of each so you can try a bunch of different ones if you want. Mm-hmm. That's um, a good way to and do they're it. located in Iowa. So I don't know what their shipping is like, but uh, I was really, I planted those one year and then my mom got hers at a local feed store. And then the ones I planted, we had way better, um, they grew better, they did better, the, the harvest was much better. Hers kind of got, never even did much. I don't know if there was a blight or if there was something wrong with the seed potatoes, but they just kind of languished and died and never, uh, the potatoes kind of rotted in the soil. But then mine flourished that year. So it does pay. I mean, I think it's worth paying a little bit more for really good quality seed potatoes as far. I mean, I've always spent more for the organic ones from a decent source. Especially when you go to the store and you look at mm-hmm. organic potatoes and how much they cost. Yeah. Um, I mean, you are 
by growing your own in that area, you're saving a lot. Right. Um, and you can grow healthier varieties in different varieties. Um, you can definitely grow varieties that you won't find in the store that taste better. One of my favorite kinds of potatoes is called purple viking. And it's really a beautiful purple and pink on the outside. And these things will get ginormous if you plant them a little too far apart. And if you want big potatoes, by all means, plant them, you know, 12, 16, 18 inches apart in a row. But I always plant mine like 8 to 10 inches. And I still end up with a few huge potatoes. But at that, like, closer spacing... You get big potatoes. They're very productive as far as the amount, the poundage of potatoes you get per foot of row space. And these things, they're great for cooking. They fry up really well. They make wonderful mashed potatoes. Um, It's a good kind of all-around potato. I don't know that it would be good in like a potato salad because they're, you know, they kind of fall apart a little. They're not a Mm -hmm. waxy potato. But um, they store like you wouldn't believe. We'll be eating these purple viking if you have the right conditions you know a cold cellar these things will store until april may of next year they're amazing in storage um they'll be still going strong long after everything else has started to sprout so that's another thing to pay attention to is and that's one thing i like about the main potato lady she has a really great uh chart on her blog that tells you the productivity and the storage length so if you are going to grow if you're only going to be able to grow one kind of potato and you want to grow a bunch and one that stores for a long time you know definitely go for one of the main crop long storage ones and i'd recommend purple viking it's fantastic well there you go that answers that question i believe and that brings us on to the main topic for this evening which is fermented feed um and Again, we're going to talk mainly about, we're going to kind of focus in on, on chicken feed. Um, right. But this is something that really you can apply to a lot of animals uh, right. that you that you keep. I mean, you ferment the feed for the pigs, mm-hmm. um, which we talked about in one of our episodes. Um, and so this kind of goes across the board. Right. Uh, and if you if you haven't listened to the podcast, we've done a couple of podcasts about fermenting for humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to the library and recorded uh, a workshop that was done by a local person about fermenting. Mm-hmm. And then we and we did um, do an interview with her. We did we did one or two ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. I can't remember. One yeah. But there are a couple we did about <laughs> food for humans and the I mean the reason you ferment for your animals is essentially the same. Mm-hmm. because it makes the food more nutritious it makes the food not necessarily more nutritious right? it can yes um it makes what it really does is it makes the food so that the digestive system can more readily absorb mm-hmm. the nutrients from the food although in some cases like uh when you're fermenting grains in particular they actually produce vitamins during fermentation that aren't there originally mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it actually does make it more nutritious Mm. in some cases. So, yeah, Um, it's really interesting. So why, first of all, how did you get this idea? Well, I read a lot of really old livestock books. I'm fascinated by what I, and I'll say that the reason I read the old ones is because I find a lot of the newer ones to be too fluffy they don't really say a lot and everything is comes down to you have to 
go too extensively into um, like cleaning everything. So it's all about scrubbing everything down with chlorine bleach and then you want to make sure you buy the perfectly formulated feed for them and that kind of thing you know and you want to do x y and z but you it has to be done x y z in order for it to be done supposedly the right way and if you do anything outside of these methods then it's not good for your chickens and the last modern chicken book one of the ones that i read and there are a couple good ones and i'll recommend one in particular but i read this one chicken book and the person said that you should never let a chicken or a hen raise chicks because it's too far too dangerous for the chicks to be in with a hen and then maybe some other adult chickens Mm -hmm. and i just thought to myself that's crazy. Well, mm-hmm. I understand there are risks, you know, and we do that because we have ducklings and the mama duck raises the, she sits on the nest and she raises up the ducklings and yeah, I mean, every now and then you lose a duckling. Generally, it's not to any kind of danger from the other birds, but um, that's the way it's been done for, that's the way birds have been. Yeah. <laughs> that's why they took take care of themselves or exactly. took care of themselves And I'm pretty sure wild. if chickens... If it was far too dangerous for hens to raise their own chickens, they would have become extinct long before humans would have stepped in. So, and I, I mean, guess I there's just... some there. There's a bit of validity in that in, right. in the modern context because a lot of times with modern breeds, the you know like the broodiness and the they motherness. Good mother. and, some of them yeah, are some of the modern breeds it's are been good bred mothers. Out of it, but but in but the it's same still respect, funny to yeah. And maybe that makes for hardier chicks. It's like guinea fowl. You know, they're an old breed of birds. They're horrible, absolutely horrible mothers. But they sit on, I mean, it seems like thousands of eggs. They just sit on a gigantic <laughs> pile of eggs. And they hatch out tons of little ones, tons of little keats. And of course, probably half of them don't make it. But the half that do make it are going to be the strong birds that are going to do really well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's one of those balanced things, Yeah. We brooded some chicks that we got from a neighbor. And I'm telling you what, brooding brooding little animals is really a pain. Mm-hmm. I really do not relish it at all. Some people love brooding little animals. I can, re- I really cannot handle it. It is just too much for me. <laughs> They're a real pain, I think. And part of it is because I want them to be outside because it's so much healthier. Mm-hmm. So I carry them in and out every day, you know, and we have a little pen set up outside so they can get some grass because it's so much... You know, they're so much stronger later on in life if they have access to grass right away. So, granted, I'm going doing a little bit more than your av- than a lot of people are when they brood animals, but mm-hmm. it's just really a huge pain. Well, and, and you really, can even the see that. I do mean, it so much better. Yeah, you, you know, can see know. that in our our last batch of ducks. Yeah, the the batch that Mama Duck, you know, brooded and raised and had outside and ran around, and we talked about her taking them. Down to the drive, the bottom of the driveway, and running them all back up, and you know, doing that a couple times a day when they're three days old. And I mean, but they're they're strong. so much stronger than the ones that we brooded ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really interesting to see because they're Muscovies, which they're big ducks. I mean, they're 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 actually more as far as their genes go. They're closer to geese than they are ducks. Um, they're huge animals. They don't fly really well, particularly the males who are very heavy, but 
in our original group, the males rarely flew. Mm-hmm. And our Papa Duck now, who's the only male left from our original group, he doesn't really fly at all. Now, Mama Duck is a very good flyer, and she flies a lot. But the ducklings, even the males, will fly a lot. They can mm-hmm. fly really far. They can go really high. They'll fly up on top of the house. Um, and they have good control over their and flight, And they have very too. good control. They're a lot more controlled in their flying. Um, I went up there the other day. And I opened the door to the duck room and I was stepped to the side because a lot of them like to fly out the door. And so I (laughs) stepped over to the side and this one female, she was in the way back of the duck room. She took off. She flew through the duck room, flew out the door, flew out. She flew around the truck. She flew down the driveway, kind of around her car. She flew around the house and then she came flying back up and flew back in the door and landed right there as I watched. <laughs> and it was just amazing to see because a lot of the, uh, I mean, the the ones that we brooded, they did, I mean, half the time they would crash land. They were like greatest American heroes when they were flying. I mean, just <laughs> crash land into stuff and they, I don't know how many times they flew into the side of our house where yeah. they just thought they were going to yep. get up higher than they did and they just bam right into the side of the house. And it would scare the cats half to death. And but these new these ducklings that Mama Duck raised are not like that. They're definitely a lot stronger. It's really interesting to see that uh, aspect of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do have. It's interesting. They have almost completely different personalities. Now, of course, that's because ours were probably raised by us as humans, so they were handled a lot. Right. These are a little more like wild ducks, so they're not. Um, I mean, they didn't imprint imprint on humans as much Mm -hmm. as the original batch, but it is really interesting to see. And then this batch also were fed fermented feed. That's another thing that is different about these guys. Yeah, the first ones, we were getting feed from the feed store. Mm -hmm. They Um, got a lot of oatmeal and mashed potatoes and um, greens, but we did get some feed from the feed store for them. I mean, Mm -hmm. we fed them that when they were ducklings. Um, And then once they got to be probably six or eight weeks old, then we started feeding them just you know normal chicken feed Mm -hmm. but yeah so did we start this question before i think we did and then we moved (laughs) on to something we digressed (laughs) why should you consider fermenting your chicken feed for the same reason that you ferment your own feed or you know your own food Mm -hmm. um because it's healthier and increases the availability of nutrients for the chickens um and I said it actually increases the amount of vitamins in the feed and produces new vitamins. I think vitamin K might be one of the ones that it produces. Um, and I'll add a link to the show notes. There's a really great blog post I found where some lady um, breaks all of this down and gives all the science behind it, which I didn't want to go into all that and reiterate all of that if I can link to her blog. Um, and it's Scratch Cradle is the link, so... I'll add a link to her blog. But, uh, yeah. And it also makes the food easier to digest for the chickens because it's soaked and it's soft. Mm -hmm. And now I'll have to say, I feed local grains that I get and mix, but you can also ferment your chicken, your normal chicken pellets or whatever kind of feed you get from the feed store. You can ferment that as well, and it'll have the same benefits as the grains. Um, So I'll have to put that out there right now because I was fermenting some chicken feed before as I was developing my own mix of feed from local grains. Um, 
Another thing is it makes the food a lot easier to adjust for one because it's wet. And they've done a lot of studies about feeding wet versus dry mash, particularly in chicks. And chicks grow faster. They have less problems with disease, that kind of thing. And these have been done more for like the commercial scale. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know how many of them feed wet mash. And that's just wetting down the feed. That's not necessarily even fermenting it. So um, even if you feed it, even if you just want to wet it instead of ferment it, that's a great thing to do. Makes it better. I've noticed, um, too, that the chickens consume less when it's fermented. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is because when you're feeding dry feed, they have a tendency to, like, fling it all over the place. I mean, they're chickens, so they want to scratch around and peck. And mm -hmm. there's something about the dry feed, for some reason, they just really make a mess out of it. And they, when I fed them, when we went back to Ohio... At Thanksgiving, I had to feed dry. I ha I mixed some commercial organic feed, which with the grain mix that I feed them. And when I came, when we came back, there was just grain all over the place in the mm -hmm. coop. I mean, absolutely everywhere in that in the chicken coop and in the duck room. It was everywhere. Probably half of the feed that had been given to them ended up not in their bellies, which is really annoying. But the thing about fermented feed is, I don't know if it's because they like it so much better. Or because it's wet, they can't kind of throw a bunch of it off to the side as they pick through it. But they definitely eat. They consume all of it. None of it. I, I don't notice that hardly any of it is wasted. Mm -hmm. So from a monetary standpoint, it's way better too because they waste a lot less and they gain more nutrition from it. So you definitely get more bang from your buck for your buck as far as feed costs are concerned. Which even if they, it wasn't nutritionally better, it would be a good reason to do it mm -hmm. um fermenting your feed like fermenting your foods for yourself provides adds some probiotics um as well now some people i know add some probiotics and they'll add some apple cider vinegar or something else into their feed which is you know fine to do i have it i do grains so i just let them ferment with their own natural yeasts and stuff um They've, there's also been studies done that fermented feed decreases the risk of diseases like salmonella, and it uh, makes your chicken's digestive tracts a lot healthier and stronger. So they're less likely to have issues if they get if they come in contact with other diseased chickens or that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, let's see what else. Oh, it makes their poop less stinky and it makes their poop <laughs> a lot less yeah so there's less chicken poop and i think that's because they're eating less because they're gain getting more nutrition from their food which is kind of interesting i read that that would do that when i started feeding fermented food and i was like well that's really interesting but it really is true and which is really nice particularly in the coop because they mm -hmm. do poop a lot at night um it's nice that it doesn't, I don't have to worry about so much being in there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's really kind of an interesting. Yeah, our coop isn't uh, oppressive when you walk in as, as no. some that we've been in that just, I mean, that's a lot of that is cleaning and right. the bedding that you use we too. Do, but, we use a deep litter method, so. Yeah, but I mean, but, but they still, they poop a lot. They do poop a lot, but the poop <laughs> doesn't stink and it's really weird because yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't smell like chicken poop in there. And they, before... I did the deep litter method, and yeah, it would still smell like chicken poop every mm -hmm. now and then, but you don't even notice it hardly, which is 
really, really nice. And one thing I noticed right away is after I started feeding fermented feed, the yolks and the eggs got bigger, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Um, and then the shells were a lot harder on the eggs. Um, which if you've never, if you've never eaten a farm, you know, quote unquote farm fresh egg or, a, mm-hmm. uh, from somebody that either pastures or, um, you know, a real egg as opposed to a factory farm battery yeah. cage chicken egg. Uh, there's a huge difference between those two. And then there's even a larger difference between exactly. that and, you know, feeding them fermented foods. Yeah. And I'd read that that would happen and I didn't really think about it. But then um, a couple of days after I started fermented fermenting feed, I'm always like a week behind on my eggs. So I'm always kind of, or I'm a week ahead. So I have... A week's worth of eggs a stored up. A week's worth of eggs yeah. sitting around, you know, so I'm using eggs from a week ago. So that I noticed when I started cracking those eggs, that the shells were harder mm. and that uh, the yolks were much bigger and they stood up a lot higher in the pan, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, it was an interesting visual just to notice that change when the only change that we had made was the change from like a dry feed to a fermented feed mm. um to a fermented feed and mine is a mix of local grains as opposed to you know like a feed uh a processed food for them but yeah i thought that was really interesting that it was such a <laughs> that you could really could see the difference i didn't think i would really notice that much mm-hmm. you know since they are pastured and they spend a ton of time eating grass and they always have they already have nice big yolks in their eggs but um yeah, and I must say, the chickens, your chickens will be much happier. Because <laughs> our chickens love the, fer- and the ducks love the fermented feed. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I first started feeding it to them, I still left a feeder in there with the regular feed as I kind of transitioned them over. But as soon as I started fermenting feed, they never touched that other feed again, ever. So I eventually threw it in the pot with the fermenting and fermented it and fed it to him because mm-hmm. I didn't want it to go to waste. But the chickens really, 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 really do like it. And here are a couple notes that I'll, a couple little tidbits of information that I gleaned from various articles and things. Um, in fermented feed, phosphorus levels are increased and sugar levels are decreased. Fermenting feed also increases the protein content by about 3%, which is really, Hmm. you know, if you particularly, this is especially important if you're feeding like a home mix of your, of grains, local grains, because often those are lower in protein than like a commercial feed because you're not feeding soy um, or that kind of thing. So if you're mixing their own, this is really important. Because it increases the protein content of the grains that you're feeding. So you don't necessarily have to supplement with other forms of protein, particularly Mm -hmm. soy or fish meal, which is what a lot of people use when they mix their own, that kind of thing. Um, And the reason, I think one of the reasons that it increases the protein content is because the yeasts increase. And in a lot of commercial feeds, they add yeast like brewer's yeast and stuff because yeasts are high in protein. So I think that's one of the reasons that it increases the protein content because it, there's more yeast there than was previously. Let's see what else. Oh, studies have shown that hens that are fed fermented feed develop more more villi, villi, villi. I don't know. Remember how I you pronounce villi? Villi. 
and I can't remember from way back when in science class, villi in their intestines and thus absorb more nutrients from their feed, making them more efficient at feed conversion. And this is one of the reasons I think that they eat a little bit less is because they're more efficiently processing that food that you're feeding them. Um, so I guess we should kind of go into how you ferment the feed. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask next is what's your what's your process? How do you... Uh, how did you find the local grains? You just did a search, right? Yeah, well, and I'll talk a little bit about, I started thinking about this a lot as I read old livestock books. Um, and I really started thinking about it in one of the pig ones, because I read this book, it's called Harris on the Pig. And it talks in there about all the different kinds of things you can feed your pig. And they cite a ton of studies on the difference between feeding your pig soaked, unsoaked, or soured grains. And they talk in there in that book about how it's completely worth the time to ferment or sour the grains that you're feeding your pigs because you get more value from it. Mm -hmm. You know, so the time you're putting in, you're earning back extra money because your pigs are getting more nutrition and eating less or they need to eat less because they're getting more nutrition from it. And I started thinking about that a lot. So I started researching fermenting chicken feed and I came across, you know, tons of articles and things on the internet and read a bunch of them and decided to give it a try. Um, and I especially wanted to do it because I mix up my own, I started, I wanted to mix up my own chicken feed but the problem is, is when you mix up your own, it's difficult to feed. And a lot of people used to feed whole grains, but the chickens really do have a little bit more trouble processing whole grains, which is why it's often ground and processed into the um, chicken kibble or the chicken feed or mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, your pellets from the store. That's often why it's ground and processed because the chickens do assimilate it easier when it's ground. And in the book, The Small Scale Poultry Flock, Harvey talks about that. And he has a big grinder and he grinds all of his feed. Mm -hmm. And when I was doing, because I've been doing research for about a year on mixing up my own chicken feed, I really didn't want to have to deal with getting a grinder and grinding the, own, grinding the feed so that the chickens could use it more easily. I just thought there has to be a way because people haven't been grinding the grain for chickens for forever. You know, that just doesn't mm -hmm. seem like something people would have always done. And then when I read that book about the pigs and souring, and then I came across a couple other references in different places where older people were saying, well, you need to soak the whole grains that you feed your birds because they're not going to flourish if you don't soak them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't really... It's not a good idea to feed your chickens the dry grains. I thought that was really interesting. So I started researching a little bit more and came across the whole fermenting thing. And I thought, well, that would probably work perfectly for the whole grains. Most of the articles that I found were people who were fermenting the chicken feed from the store. So I started just fermenting. I did like a half and half mix of the feed and then the mix of grains that I mixed up myself. And then eventually I just kept adding, like I just started using the grains that I mixed up myself and quit feeding the commercial feed. And our chickens have been flourishing on that for the past. It's been, let's see, I think in 
June, it'll be a year that I've been feeding my own mix um, and fermented grains. So, hmm. so how do you ferment it? What you want to do is you want to get a big container. It can be a um, like a food grade five gallon bucket. You want to make sure if you're using plastic to get food grade. Um, I prefer not to use plastic when it comes to food, but I do mine currently is in a food grade bucket because I haven't had a chance to get up to the store. I'm in the process of, I wanted to figure out my process before I purchased anything for this, Mm -hmm. but I am going to buy a couple of the huge earthenware crocks that you do for like fermenting pickles and that kind of thing. I want to buy a couple of those and just have them. In the summer, I have them sitting on the back porch in the winter. I have them sitting inside by the wood burner where they get the warmth from the wood burner for the fermentation. But I am going to buy a couple of those now that I have the system down and I know I'm going to continue doing it. But so you want to get a big container and you want it to be, depending on the size of your chickens, you know, some people online just have one of those kind of big glass um, containers that you keep your flour in Mm -hmm. one that's you know like a two three gallon container that kind of thing if you just have a couple of chickens that would be perfect and what you do is you put feed in it probably about if you're using a commercial pellet you want to fill it probably about halfway because that's going to absorb a lot of water and expand quite a bit Mm -hmm. if you're using whole grains i would fill it about three quarters of the way full um so you put your grain or your pellets in there and then you put water in there and fill it. You want to fill it up to a couple inches below the top of the container. And it would be beneficial for the first couple times you do it. Oh, excuse me. I've got like a frog in my throat or something. Take a drink. Take a drink of your tea. Uh, it's always good to have a cup of tea next to the old podcast microphone especially when it's throat coat tea yes um highly recommended throat coat tea from traditional medicinals there you go and they in no way pay us or anything but we've been drinking (laughs) their tea for a long time and love it um so i would highly recommend also doing this on a glass container so that you can kind of see what's going on and Mm. watch the whole process um i did it one of those big glass things for a while but we have so many chickens I need a huge container for this. Um, but yeah, then fill it up to a couple inches between the bot before below the bottom. Don't fill it up too high because particularly if you're using pellets, it's going to bubble and probably expand a little bit. So, and then just kind of watch it. And the most places say you want to ferment between three and five days. Um, you'll start to notice some little bubbles in there and that kind of thing. Some people add a little bit of apple cider vinegar. Some people add a little bit of sourdough starter. Some people add some other kind of probiotic thing to Mm it. I just kind of let mine go and figured it would do its own thing. And And it it, did. And it did. So, yeah, and just kind of watch it. And after, it doesn't even have to be three days. Even if you soak it for 24 hours, your chickens are going to get a little more benefit from it. But at that point, you're not going to get as much of the protein increase and the starch decrease as you will in the three to five day ferment. So, and then what you're going to do is you can, it's going to be kind of watery. It it really depends on the food that you feed. You can strain it out with a, like a dipper. I don't know. What do you call those? Like a strainer kind of thing. It's a strainer, but it's, uh, it's, it's like what you, uh, pick fries out of a fryer. 
Right, but mine's grains. So if you're right. using like a mash or if you're using a pellet, it's going to turn into kind of like a soupy mashed potato consistency. So mm-hmm. you're going to want something with a really fine mesh to scoop it out of there. Right. Or you could take... Some people I know I've read on the internet, they'll use half-gallon mason jars or gallon mason jars and do a jar for every day. So they just do as much as their chickens are going to eat. And then they have five jars going. So all they do is carry the jar out, dump it in the bowl in the chicken coop, and they're done. And they Mm -hmm. don't worry about straining anything out. And the chickens kind of drink the liquid that Mm -hmm. because that's you know valuable as well that has good stuff in it so you could do that as well but if you're doing it in a big batch you can scoop out the amount that you need and take it out and dump it in a bowl or whatever in the chicken run so i mean it's really that easy essentially check it all in a container and you put water in there and you want to make sure that the water stays a couple inches above the food that you're fermenting because that's the you know, if you listen to the fermentation podcast, that's what keeps the oxygen away from the food. Because what you don't want to happen is any mold or anything to happen. And that layer of water is what keeps that from happening. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, that's the one like big thing you want to, like the one thing you need to watch out for is keeping that level of water high enough. Um, and what I do is... I feed my chickens, and this is ridiculously simple. I feed a mix of two-thirds wheat, one-third oats. And that's pretty much what I feed my chickens. Mm -hmm. I know it's ridiculously simple. And there are people that will tell you that's kind of crazy. But I'll recommend a book in in the book section. And a lot of the older books that you read will tell you that wheat is really, you know, kind of the perfect all-around chicken grain. And there were a lot of people back in back in the way back era that just fed wheat to their chickens. Mm-hmm. And their chickens did fine. You know, and that's what I've been feeding my chickens. I do supplement with some herbs and stuff that I pick from the garden. And from I pick dandelions and comfrey all winter long and throw them up in the... We have like this attic closet in the garage. I throw them up in there. All summer long. All summer long. I throw them up in there all summer long on the window screens and they dry out. And then comfrey is super high in protein and all kinds of other vitamins and minerals. So I throw some of that out and mix it in with their food for them. And I give them a raw milk kefir at least once a week. But I mean, pretty much they're eating. And we have the the, uh, mealworms. Yeah, I haven't fed any of those to them yet. They haven't produced enough mealworms yet to feed to the chickens, but I am raising mealworms for the chickens as like a protein source. But uh, yeah, I mean, my chickens are thriving on this simple mix. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the, you know, I read tons and tons and tons about mixing up your own chicken feed. And there are so many, even in Harvey Usery's book, he has all of this, like you have to come up with formulas that have the right amounts of protein and then you need to add this and that. And so his recipes have all different kinds of things in it and legumes in there for some protein. But then he talks about how the chickens don't really want to eat the legumes because chickens don't particularly like them. Mm-hmm. And every place I've read where people mix up their own feed, they complain about how the chickens don't want to eat the legumes that they add in there for protein. Well... And that should probably tell you something. <laughs> yeah. And one of the reasons is because they do have a lot more phytic acid or anti-nutrients than most other seeds do. So you should, 
have to soak or sprout them a lot longer than other seeds um, in order for them to be a little more assimilated, mm-hmm. particularly as far as the protein is concerned. So I don't know. Birds are pretty smart in that regard, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came across Gene Lodgson, which his stuff is great. If you've never read any of his stuff, I love how it's it's like the... It's very pragmatic. It's very, very practical. practical. And he's very anti... Um, corporatism and big egg and like everybody making everything more complicated than it needs to be, Mm -hmm. which I really like, you know, and he, he's always talking about how, you know, a lot of the studies have been done are done for commercial agriculture Mm -hmm. for maximum production. He said, you know, those things don't really apply to us on a small scale. He said, because what do I care for by the big egg? Exactly. He said, what do I care? My chickens may lay an extra egg or two if I feed them more protein. He said, but because I want to raise all my own chicken feed and I want to feed them things that I know where they're coming from, for me, feeding them in his mix is uh, two thirds corn and then one third wheat or oats he says um in his book and he feeds his with uh like sorghum and homegrown corn and homegrown wheat um but he said you know my chickens may lay an extra egg or two a day if i fed them some sort of a mix that had more protein he said but for me i'm just gonna keep a couple extra chickens so i get the number of eggs that i want he said but because it's so much more beneficial to me financially and it's so much better for my community and for the environment if I'm feeding a local mix or feeding something that I grow myself. He said, I don't really care. You know, my goal isn't maximum production for minimum inputs because I'm not doing this for that reason. Mm-hmm. He said, so a lot of the the studies that you read about don't necessarily apply on a home scale. And you can do a lot of things on the home scale because those aren't your goals. You know, your goals aren't minimum inputs for maximum exports. Your goals are quality, the joy of doing it, those kinds of things. So I really appreciate his writings and those, you know, he can really bring a lot of um, kind of pragmatic, um, he brings a pragmatic voice into um, a world of books that is often paid for by companies who have a vested interest in you buying specific things Mm -hmm. and spending money on specific things where he is kind of like a breath of fresh air in this world that makes, you know, these books that make everything seem so complex, mm-hmm. um, which I really appreciate. If you've never read any of his books, I would highly recommend it. And I would highly recommend getting his book, Practical Skills. as just kind of a book to keep on your library f- to read every now and then as a resource to look up specific things in. Um, I believe you said exputs. Exputs. <laughs> That's Maybe a good word. That is a good word. <laughs> Inputs versus exputs. <laughs> <laughs> we need to start using that more. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Anyways. I was just thinking, did she say exputs? Maybe I did. I don't know. I don't even know where we'll I would have said it. have to rewind that. I don't even know where I went. Inputs versus outputs. Outputs, that's what it is. Exputs. I'm probably thinking exports. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Anyways, and I don't even know where this all came from. <laughs> Was it talking about mixing up your own feed? Yes, because I looked online and I did tons and tons of research and it all just seems so complicated. And I thought to myself, I'm not buying 15 different kinds of grain from all over the country to mix up my own chicken feed. That seems ridiculous. 
People were not doing this 100 years ago. They weren't buying flaxseed from North Dakota and, you know, peas from wherever, North Carolina and corn from Ohio, you know, and soy from Ohio and mixing it all up to make their own chicken feed. They just weren't doing that. They were able to do it with things that they could find locally or grow themselves. So I started searching around and I happened to find a local grain mill that offers, they offer wheat and oats and a few other things when they have them. And so I thought to myself, I know wheat is a really good feed for chicken. And then I have this one book that gives a lot of great information. And they said oats are really good too, but they shouldn't be more than a third. They shouldn't add up to more than a third of what they're eating. Mm. So I thought, well, if I feed two thirds wheat and one third oats, that should be good as far as feed is concerned. And that's what I started mixing up and feeding them and... The chickens are doing great. Yep. Yeah. And granted, our chickens have access to, they free range over an acre or two. So they have lots of bugs and grass in the summer. In the winter, you know, they, if it's not, if we don't have feet of snow, they're out and about scratching around and finding mm-hmm. things. And I do try to give them a little bit more um, yogurt or kefir in the winter. To kind of help give them a little bit more, uh, a little bit of protein. But I dry those herbs for them. But essentially, that's it. I wasn't going to, I mean, I don't really supplement protein in the winter to keep egg production up. Some people do. You know, I didn't really want to do that. I didn't really care if they laid fewer eggs. But our chickens actually have laid really well over this winter. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been really surprised. They're all, I probably have nine or ten hens right now that are molting. And... I think except for two or three days last week, we've been getting a minimum of eight eggs a day. Most of the time, up until a couple weeks ago, I was getting 12 and 14 eggs a day still. And then a couple weeks ago, it probably went down to about between eight and 10. And then for a couple days last week, I think I only got three or four but then, you know, yesterday I got eight eggs again. So but last week we had that really big cold snap. and It was super cold. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was lots of snow and ice and that kind of thing. But, but like we said, I mean, some of our friends haven't been, haven't got oh, an yeah. egg for a couple months. Yeah. Their chickens quit laying a long time ago. Um, most people we know said that. So, I mean, I don't know. It's the fermented grain, I suppose. And that's what everyone's saying. They were like, how are your chickens still laying? Do you provide light? And I said, no. I think it's partly the fermented feed. Mm -hmm. Um, And they do. I grew a bunch of potatoes, so I have been feeding some potatoes here and there. So, I mean, our chickens are spoiled. Yeah, they are. They're spoiled, but they're not, you know. I mean, they're still chickens, and their chicken coop is pretty hideous. But they eat well, so they don't care. (laughs) But I I I do cook potatoes for them. So, on the days when it was, you know, 15 below zero, I would cook potatoes on the wood stove and... About 3.30 before they were roosting up, I would take out hot mashed potatoes with, <laughs> I put a little bit of, uh, I put a little bit of um, pastured beef tallow in it for them. They get these special meals on the cold days. Um, and then I put some herbs in it. But I've also been, one of the things you can do for your flock in the winter is you know how you put out suet for the birds. Mm-hmm. You can put out some suet, make your own, or I have a recipe on my blog for homemade suet. Um, 
you can use lard if you want uh, to make your suet blocks or anything like that. You can provide some of that for your chickens, which your chickens will really appreciate. It helps keep them warm in the winter. It's good for their feathers. Since we slaughtered our own pigs, I actually saved a bunch of big pieces of the skin because the pigs we raised had a lot of fat right under the skin. And some of it I'm going to render out for lard for us to use. But I saved a bunch of big pieces of the skin. So it's, you know, skin on one side, lard on the other. And I just take a piece up and I nail it to the wall in the chicken coop. And then the birds eat their own lard as needed throughout the winter. I think I put up like a 8 inch by 12 inch piece three or four weeks ago. And it's getting about time. And probably the lard on it was about half an inch or a three quarter inch thick. I put it up there three or four weeks ago and it's probably about time to think about adding a new piece up there for them. But you know, they get in there and every now and then they pack off a couple pieces of lard. Mm -hmm. You know, I was wondering what, if they would eat too much of it or go crazy and eat it all. But you know, it's been interesting to watch. They kind of seem to um, ration themselves or eat a little bit here and there when they want it and then eat some grain, that kind of thing. So that's another great thing. Um, that you could do if you know someone that's raising pigs or if you're buying some pork from someone. See if you can get some of those less desirable pieces. You can even feed your chickens. Um, a huge thing when you read a lot of the old chicken books, meat scraps were really big as far as chicken feed was concerned. And nowadays we use most of those in dog kibble. So they're not, you know, it's not used in chicken feed as much. But that's another thing you can do if you buy half a hog, half a cow, something like that, and you get liver, you know, something that you don't necessarily want to eat. Mm-hmm. By all means, you know, dice that up or grind it up and mix it in with some of your chicken feed and feed it to your chickens. It's, you know, wonderful food for them. I actually try to give them liver every now and then just because it's like a a good super food for them. So... Well, I think yeah, that about covers the, the fermentation for the chickens. That's a, a lot of good information. Yeah. Uh, and It's been an interesting process. And, you know, at first, I think when you first start, it seems like it's going to be a ton of extra work, but it really isn't, I don't think. I think it's like everything else. It's just it adds a, couple, a rhythm. Right. It, it Once you get into the rhythm, it doesn't. It adds... It really doesn't add much time at all. It, it adds the the time to my workflow that it takes me to scoop three or four scoops of grain out of a bucket every day but i would be you know as opposed to dumping an entire bag of feed in their feeder and only having to check it a couple times but i go up to the coop every morning anyways to gather eggs and open the run door and that kind of thing so i scoop a couple of scoops out into a pot i have like a stock pot that i use and i carry the feed up there and i dump it into a um that's another thing I should talk about is what you feed your chickens this fermented feed in. Um, I have, I've tried it in a bunch of different vessels and I have found a big saucer for a pot. So like if you have a terracotta pot, a big one, what you set it in that kind of holds the water, that big saucer, super shallow, super round, that's fantastic. By far, that's the best thing I've found so far because those things are sturdy. They're meant to be kind of outside in the elements. The one that I'm using in the winter is glazed. Um, Seems to work out pretty well. A lot of birds can get around it and eat. I've got 
20 chickens up in the coop and um i think there are 11 guineas in there now so you know i've cut 30 some odd birds that want to eat around this and i can probably that you know probably 10 of them can fit around this uh big saucer that i have so that's another you know, you can use all kinds of things some people just dump it on the ground but i don't like to do that because I, I it's kind of watery and I like to, they, they'll drink all the liquid, you know, mm-hmm. which is, I figure is probably better for them than water. So yeah, works out great. I'm sure that some people, you know, are concerned about making sure that they don't kill their chickens, you know, yeah. through, through lack of nutrition. And so that's, that's probably one reason why this, um, isn't done more often, but yeah, people because get really it is interesting it. that you didn't find a lot of information on doing this. And are kind of blazing your own path um, in doing it in the way you're doing it in the mix that you're using. But I think it's also been a benefit, you know, to to the birds and to us, obviously, because yeah. we're still getting eggs, you know, even in the winter. Um, and it's good to experiment. It's good to try different things. Exactly. That and and that's one another good reason to not dump a bag of food into the feeder and, you know, check on the chickens next week uh, when you think right. they need food and water because we do keep a close eye on all of our birds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, or we're always up sort of walking around and interacting with them because they're in areas that uh, that we're always going to, like the ducks are up by the garage and mm-hmm. we're always going in and out of the garage. Um, but then you start to notice, you know, once you notice kind of what the normal... Mm-hmm. way the normal rhythm of your animals then you can notice when things are off um yeah. and so you know it's good to experiment with these things and and because you can come up with a better way that is more or less expensive um not necessarily as time consuming and like you said it takes a little bit more time but you know you're saving yourself money exactly so i'm the, definitely saving because the thing is, I was buying um, organic chicken feed that mm-hmm. was made in, I think it was made in Vermont. Um, and I think it was, it cost 27 or $28 for a 50 pound bag. Mm-hmm. And we have, at the moment, we probably have about 50 birds. And so they were going through one bag of chicken feed a week. Now that's a lot of money. That's a hundred and whatever, 10 20 bucks a month, mm-hmm. which is a lot for birds, for some eggs, you know. Right. Um, and, and we do meat. get some meat out of them and they do bug control and they give us manure for the garden, that kind of thing. But that's still a lot of money. And when I found this local grain place, I thought to myself, you know, I mean, it has to be better for me to feed a local grain, even if, say, my chickens don't lay as many eggs for me. You know, I started thinking about Jean's position and I thought... Well, it's so much less expensive. If I wanted more eggs, I could always maintain more chickens and it would still be cheaper. Mm -hmm. Um, But then on top of that, I'm also now buying grains from local farms. So I am benefiting the local community, the local economy more so than I was before, even though my chicken feed at least did come from a slightly smaller company. Um... But I love that I'm doing that. I'm benefiting a local grain mill. This local grain mill, these, this is the, they sell for 
animals, the stuff that they can't sell for human consumption. So it's better environmentally because they can't sell this product for human consumption and they need to get rid of it. So they sell it for animal feed. They were having trouble finding people to buy their product. And so I started buying it and started telling all my friends about it. And now I have tons of friends that buy grain up there too. So much so that sometimes I can't get grain, which is yeah, kind of funny. And they're raising their prices. <laughs> exactly. But you know, whatever. I'm glad for that. It's still way cheaper. So now I pay $6.50, $6.50, I think, mm-hmm. for a 40-pound bag of um, wheat or oats. or I also get wheat mids sometimes. Um which is way cheaper, and it's organic. It's from local yeah, farms. Yeah, because just to call back, you said $24 for a 40-pound bag. bag. $28 for a 50-pound bag yeah. of feed. Or six fifty for a 40-pound bag. And my chickens consume, because it's whole grain and it's soaked, my chickens consume about half of the amount of feed that they were consuming when I was feeding a commercial product. So where they were eating 50 pounds of feed before a week, all the birds, they're probably eating about 25, maybe 30 pounds. It depends on, you know, when it's cold outside, they eat a little bit more. Um, And in the winter, they eat a little bit more because they can't forage. But they're probably only eating 25 or 30 pounds. Maybe, I mean, I don't even think I use a 40-pound bag of feed a week. So I went from spending... $28, and that's before tax. It's probably about $30 after tax to spending $650 a week. I mean, that's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And And for the amount of eggs that you're getting a week, I mean, that just from the chickens. In the summer, I get at least a dozen eggs, usually more like 16 eggs a day. Um, And, you know, we get duck out of that and insect control and that kind of stuff so i mean it's a huge savings for me money wise Mm -hmm. um you know i'm spending in a month the amount that i used to spend in a week as far as food is concerned so i mean that's one of the benefits of mixing up your own food especially from a local source if you can find it and even if even if your source of local grain isn't necessarily cheaper per pound than your commercial feed you'll still end up saving money because your chickens are going to eat less of the whole grain and it's a higher feed value because it doesn't have the all the fillers and the additives Mm -hmm. um so like some of the feed that i have the number one ingredient was corn the second ingredient was wheat mids and then i had some brewer's yeast some other vitamins added and then it had some uh like ground alfalfa You could buy alfalfa hay locally if you wanted to for winter feed supplementation. And then you could buy a grain or two, a local grain or two that you, from a local farm, um, and feed that. And you're still going to save more, even if your grain costs the same or slightly more per pound than your organic feed does. So, Mm -hmm. And ask around. You might find, I have a friend in Ohio who got chickens. And she searched around and found a local lady who has like a small chicken business and mixed up her own feed and she was willing to sell my friend this organic grain mix that she mixes herself from grain from local farms. She's selling enough to my friend. Let me think my friend has seven or eight chickens. So she's willing to sell her enough for her chickens. 
And it's nice because she doesn't have to worry about mixing the feed herself. She's still using organic local grains, but she's also helping out another local farmer as well in the Mm -hmm. process by buying it off of her. So, you know, ask around. It's one of those things. Maybe you don't want to mix it yourself or source the grains yourself. Maybe you know someone else that might be interested in doing that or know someone else that is doing it. Um, Maybe you can go on in on it with them, you know, offer to pay offer to pay for the grain and then they can mix it up and um, do that part of it and get some of it for free or something like that. I mean, I don't know. Good. It's one of those things. It's easy. It really is easy, but I think we've muddied the water so much. It made it seem so much more complex than it should be. Um, Which is exactly what corporate places want you to believe because they don't want you mixing up your own chicken feed no so so what are the uh you've mentioned a couple of the books of the week throughout the the podcast but why don't you go over what those are and uh why you like them and first off i will say gene lodgson's practical skills i mentioned that one before great Mm -hmm. book he's got a little section in there on chickens which is really interesting the section on cows is also interesting it's just a great book to have you can get it used for i mean keep a watch on amazon i think i paid three or four bucks for my copy it's really inexpensive but it is a fantastic book to have on your bookshelf as a resource and just to read through every now and then it's really interesting right and uh on the other side, we have Harvey Usury. Now, this, his book is fantastic, The Small Scale Poultry Flock. And if you're, you want to have chickens, that's a great reference to have around. But when you talk about in his chapters about mixing up chicken feed, and he's got all of these ratios and mathematical equations and all this kind of stuff that you have to figure out and figuring out the protein percentage and all of that kind of stuff, it's just very complex. And it's kind of the exact opposite of Gene Lodgson's whole theories and um ideas but i mean his book is really great and i i like his he's also very practical in some aspects of his poultry keeping and it's got a lot of great information so if you want to have chickens i highly recommend getting this book as a resource to keep on hand and i like it's just more in depth than a lot more it's got a lot of meat to it this book it's not a cheap book but it's going to be the same as buying a couple other books. So you might as well buy that one if you want to have a chicken book on hand. And then for the, for the true chicken geek, I would recommend. <laughs> you want to get your chicken geek on. Yes. I would recommend a book called Feeding Poultry by GF. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Huizer? Huizer? We'll go with that. I don't know. Anyway, it was, I think, published back in the 1940s or 50s, something like that. I'd have to look. But this book... Is a tome. Is a tome. It really is. But it's really fascinating because it is pretty much up until, I don't know how when they started. I'd have to look at the dates. But it's pretty much a reference of every chicken feeding study chicken and bird, you know, poultry since a long time ago (laughs) up until that point. And he goes through and it's a really good reference. If you do want to start mixing up your own feed or you're interested in the um, nutritional value of various things for poultry, 
It's a really great book because essentially it goes through absolutely everything. And it's amazing that every, it seems like there's been a study conducted to see if chickens can be fed almost anything. Mm -hmm. And I mean, seriously, so I'm on page 174 and we have ant eggs. (laughs) Ant eggs, yes. Consists of the pupae and not the eggs. They have been used by gamekeepers, especially in Europe. They can be either used fresh or semi-dried preserves for poultry or winged game. And then there's locust meal, which contains 45% protein, has been reported as a possible source of protein for chicks, since it has been proved to be as palatable as fish meal. However, it is not so efficient as fish meal. The consumption of grasshoppers by turkeys has been reported as causing mortality. This was thought to be due to the enteritis caused by the legs of the insects. And each one of these sentences has a reference to the study that'll tell you where to find it if you want to, where they found out this information. And after locust meal, we have hydrolyzed tannery waste, a product obtained (laughs) by hydrolyzing waste resulting from the scraping of hides and tanneries and containing 44.7% crude protein was reported by the California station as producing 10% fewer eggs than meat scrap. And this is what this book is like. And so (coughs) it seriously contains anything. It seems like people have done studies on feeding chickens absolutely everything so here is one the protozoa of rumen (laughs) but then it has everything else like wheat and corn and i mean it even has like uh used coffee grounds in here as one of the things which is doesn't provide any nutritional value (laughs) for the chickens (laughs) but But, it does make them run around the the barnyard quicker but it really is a fascinating book and sometimes in the evenings i just sit around and and tell me all the weird things that they've fed chickens. And, and read through this book because it really is interesting. So here's sauerkraut, another form in which cabbage may be fed. It has been fed to young chicks by putting the sauerkraut on a plate and sprinkling feed over it. Mature birds may be fed three to four pounds per day per four hundred hen or per one hundred hens. The sour taste seems to act as an appetizer. The kraut is made in the usual way, except that a little less salt is used. I talk about kale. I mean, it talks about everything. And this book, essentially, and this is where I found a lot of my information about not including more than a third uh, oats in your mix. Um, oh, and it talks about sprouted grains, germinated oats. Um, and it, this book talks about wheat, and it says wheat is essentially the perfect all-around chicken feed. So if you just have access to wheat, you can just feed wheat to your chickens, and it's pretty much considered the perfect feed as far as sustaining a chicken on one single um, feed ration. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was like, oh, well, that's great because I can pretty much feed wheat and oats because that's what I can get from the mill. And that's perfectly fine. And sometimes I can get barley. Barley is also valuable. Um, sometimes I can get emmer or ancient grains, but um, not very often. So, yeah, really interesting. Starfish meal, I just saw that as I... <laughs> yes shark meal starfish meal i would think i could find lobster meal nearby that's in here too but yeah if you are uh 
if you're into the geekery science part of it yeah this book is fantastic i love this book <laughs> i really do well we'll put links to all those books in the show notes uh so you can check those out and uh just to let you know and i don't know if we actually announced it on the podcast or if we just put it into the the notes for last week's episode on the blog um but we've uh figured out the whole amazon thing uh and so i've i've switched all the links over um to a a new amazon account and uh, so our amazon affiliate links are working so if you would use those uh if you're going to buy anything off amazon you just click over to the blog at cultivatesimple.com or chiotsrun.com and uh, click through one of the books and you don't even have to buy that book if you buy any product after clicking through that link then uh within i believe it's within 24 hours but you know just come back and click through it again Mm -hmm. um if you buy any product on Amazon, then we get a few uh, pennies as quote unquote advertising dollars um, from that purchase. Uh, or you can go to uh, cultivatesimple.com slash support and the uh, that gives you a link to uh, Amazon that has our tag on the end of it. If you bookmark that link and just put it in your you know bookmark bar up at the top and then anytime you go to Amazon, just click through that, um, then you won't have to worry about, you know, Know, remembering to come back over to the blog because I know that when we have things like that we have one of our credit cards or something that if you click through their website before you yeah. go to the thing and I can never remember to do it um, but if you bookmark that uh, off of the website then every time you go to Amazon uh, you'll be sure that you're purchasing through our affiliate account and like I said it doesn't cost you any extra there's no added fee tagged onto you um, we just get a little bit in advertising dollars and that actually is um, um, the most money that we make, uh, that's our biggest income from the mm-hmm. blog and from the podcast. So we really appreciate you guys doing it. Yep. Um, and then the, uh, of course you can always, you know, support with a one-time donation or a monthly donation. And that's our second biggest income producer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really appreciate all of our monthly donors and uh, all of the people that gave uh, over the past year as we've been doing the podcast. I mean, today we're talking about saving you fifteen dollars a month in your your chicken feed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or more, or more, yep. depending on how many chickens you have. So, you know, why not send five dollars a month our way, and then you can take your ten dollars a month <laughs> and go see a movie or something. Um, not a not a movie you'd have to probably see a matinee for 10 bucks a month but anyway um so that's it for this week uh until next week uh, why don't you ferment some food for yourself and for your chickens yep. i'd rather be a farmer i'd rather work the land i'd rather see the mountainside I'd rather see your hand I'd rather swim the ocean I'd rather not pretend I'd rather do some thinking now Somehow it all depends If I could fly Above the tree
Swim. 